All right, Tim, I always start off with the same boring question, but it's so insightful. What is your franchise story? How do you even end up doing something in franchising? Yeah, it's pretty unique because, you know, in school, didn't even know about franchising, right? But then outside of school, got into a job in hospitality, particularly in aquatics, weird segment of, you know, beachfront training and deep water rescue training and different things like that, right? But I knew training. That was my kind of platform. And then I got introduced to a brand in Scranton, Pennsylvania called iDropped. They're in the tech repair space, similar to you break, I fix, CPR, cell phone repair, those type of franchise brands. And, you know, I was with them for about a year. The co-founder said, hey, we want to start franchising the concept. Let's dive into it. So we spent a year with a franchise consultant just diving into franchising, going to the events, Springboard, the convention, different things like that, kind of learning the industry, picking the brains of people. And I really started to fall in love with franchising at that point. So we we had five corporate stores at that time, sold five franchise locations, you know, Brooklyn, Knoxville, Tennessee, parts of Pennsylvania, opened those five units. But then ultimately the co-founders decided to split apart. You know, one wanted to focus on real estate, the other wanted to focus on their, their other company and franchising kind of fell to the back burner. But at that point, really caught the bug for franchising. So, so I reached out to some mutual connections, said, hey, you know, I want to continue this journey, kind of been focused on the op side. Do you know anybody? And they introduced me to two co-founders in New Jersey, uh, Stephen and Jason Parker. I think you might even know them. And, you know, they have a brand called Canine Resorts. So this was 2017, I want to say. And I was one of their first kind of franchise office hires. And they tasked me two things, you know, just support the growth of the brand, working with an FSO at the time doing the sales, and then build the team around us, you know, and supporting the brand. I was very confident in that I can do that in regards to onboarding, site selection, zoning, construction, pre and post opening ops, training, you know, all the things that go into that bucket for a micro franchise at that point in time, less than 10 units, and then building the team around it. So that's how I really got into franchising. And, you know, five years with them was a fantastic journey, fantastic brand. You know, but my main task was to start building that team around them. So I was doing operations, found someone from the retail side of operations. They were with Tommy Hilfiger, Nautica, great brands. He came in as the director of operations, made it even better than what I was doing in operations, right? Then I kind of put my focus on real estate, eventually hired a director of real estate. That gentleman did it even better than I did it. You know what I mean? Then we brought in a director of marketing, and she's fantastic, the VP of, of marketing now. You know, and continually growing the brand, controller, accountant, franchise business coaches, and so forth. And that was kind of my journey of leading those divisions throughout their growth, and then ultimately kind of exiting at the five-year mark of my journey with them. So, and then I wanted to continue that journey, and that kind of brought me to franchise hire. All right, so... Stepping backwards, there, there's there's a different process that you took or different pathway even to get into executive recruiting because you were filling the seat, hiring someone in, letting them take over their process and bouncing from that seat in your journey at Canine. That, that's accurate, right? Yeah, that's 100% accurate. So because then you wear so many different hats, and I will say there, there's something very very much you've you removed the ego from the situation and that you were like and i brought someone in and they could do it better than me and so you're yeah. like i don't want to be the smartest person in the room i want the next person to be the smartest person in the room and so if you look back on that experience that is, that's pretty impactful to probably your point of differentiation in the marketplace now talk about like how do you take those learnings and cross 
cross apply it into what you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. So like, like that was my learning curve that I lived the roles. So like, I know the pain points of a lot of the roles. And I would say I didn't experience pain points with a 500 unit brand or anything like that. But for the early stage emerging and growth stage brands kind of under 250 units, I got to know what the pain points are going to be. So one of our strategies that we utilize in recruiting is asking very strategic questions for each role, for each brand that are custom designed, you know, so this way we can really extrapolate how much does an individual know about doing the day-to-day -day operations in this role and then ultimately achieving a goal. So we're not just looking to find somebody to fill a role. We want to achieve a goal of some sort. So with a recent brand we worked with, their goal, just coming to the States to sell 20 units in their first year and then 25 in their second year. So we went to the market, interviewed candidates, but one of our questions was, hey, I noticed you're working at XYZ company in the item seven under furniture fixtures and equipment, it says you spent 300,000 to build out a particular facility. Don't give away any secrets, but what rolls up into that number, right? And a great answer might be, yeah, it was 275 the year before, but then COVID impacted our supply chain and brought it up to 300K and that includes X, Y, and Z. But a bad answer would be, Item seven, is that where you list the executives in your company or where you list, you know, the average mm -hmm. volumes and performance? So like instantly you're kind of taking people out of the equation until you you land at the avatar that the franchisor wants. If you think back to your time at K9, and and for those that know K9, you have two if if you need to look up the definition of entrepreneur in the dictionary, it's the it's the co-founders of K9. For sure. Are you sitting there looking at their business and also going through the same thing that a franchise buyer goes through? It's like, I can continue to build wealth for someone else, or I can go and be an entrepreneur on my, on my own. Like, is there, is there a crossroad that you hit as a founder that you were like, I'm ready to do something on my own? Yeah, for sure. So I always advise people to, you know, have a, have some plan. So at the three-year mark, at the five-year mark, maybe the 10-year mark, right? Truly step back from your role and say, Here's what I've achieved. Here's what I'm most proud of. How can I utilize that in the future? And then also, do I want to do another five years doing this? And for me, that question to the answer was no. And it wasn't because of anything at K9. They're a growing brand. They're continuing to grow. They're fantastic. They're phenomenal. You know, it was more, I've never done something on my own. I really want to stay in franchising. I would say my greatest tool in my tool chest is my ability to find great people that last, you know, and basically everybody that I hired at K9 is still with the company and either in a similar capacity or promoted to a higher level role within their brand. So that's a, I'm very impressed, you know, with kind of how that can actually happen within a brand, you know, and it's not all by me. It's because of the people that you built around you, you know, that's the, the genuine part about it. And I love that about it. So um, that's what made me go, let me do something on my own, start my own venture that I can scale. I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur though. You know, I, I, I founded this brand franchise hire, we have a few people that we work with on contract that write position profiles, do some sourcing and stuff like that. But an entrepreneur, I see as someone that can start a business and hire team members that run the business solely. You know what I mean? I am the recruiter for franchise hire. You know what I mean? I'm the one doing the phone screenings and, you know, having the interviews through Zoom with the candidates, presenting them to the client, going through kind of questioning with them until I get to a point where, I'm not the only recruiter and I'm not doing daily recruiting and sourcing and those type of things. That's when you really become an entrepreneur where you can replicate a business model. And then it might be franchise hire and it might be franchise fraction for fractional work. Right. And then you own two entities under one umbrella. That's when you just start to become, I believe, a true entrepreneur. 
you know, right now I'm running a business that I think is doing great things for the franchise community. Um, but I always like to make that differentiation in my own mind. So I've never heard that before. I mean, it, it goes in line with me saying that you weren't egotistical on what you were able to do at canine. Uh, so it, it's, it's fitting on par with who you are as a human, but it's interesting. I mean, ultimately a, a franchisee is much the same. You're not asking a franchisee to be an entrepreneur. You're asking them to be entrepreneurial and run a business, which you're saying, I'm running a business. I'm not an entrepreneur yet, or I don't see myself as that. So very, very fascinating uh, comment. Yeah, when it's I do, believe, I do believe a franchisee can be an entrepreneur, you know, in a sense, but it comes down to the mentality of what it is. Totally. And those are really absentee ownership models where, hey, I'm investing the capital, $2 million to build this childcare facility. Someone else is going to run it. I'm going to step back and look for my next investment. Here's how we're going to strategize to scale it. You know, that's the entrepreneurial mindset of it all, as opposed to you fitting one of the seats or one of the roles as a GM or whatever it might be. If you reflect back, because you said my skill set was finding people and they're, they're all still there. You reflect back on, on K9, what's, what's the secret sauce? And it won't be secret after you say it. What's the sauce to building that connectivity and the culture that has helped guide people to stay there as long as they have? So I would say, I don't think there is a secret sauce, but, you know, and maybe some luck played involved with it too. But, you know, ultimately it's a mindset of, Hey, I don't want to find someone that can fill this role, someone that could do field visits and you know make these calls and guide them through the, the inventory process or whatever it might be. You want someone that can achieve a particular goal. And that goal might be, hey, our franchise validation is low for a particular brand. We want to improve that validation, right? That's a goal. Or we want to sell 20 units next year within our franchise brand. That's a goal that you want to achieve. So then you start vetting backwards from there. Okay, in their past, which is the greatest predictor of the future, have they sold 50 units at the previous brand they were with? We'll look into their FDD, right? We'll review their FDD, go down to the bottom, look at, okay, you sold 50 units last year. It doesn't mean this individual sold 50 units. We want to backtrack that. Okay, Joe or Jane, how many of those are you directly responsible for? And the answer might be 10. So is that the right candidate to bring you to 20 units? knowing that your particular brand, maybe the unit economics is as good as this previous brand and so forth. So you're making all these type of calculations to figure out, can this emerge with the result that the client actually wants? Fascinating. How much, how much weight do you put on the CEO or the founders in the stickiness of a staff or the ability to recruit in staff? So I would say founders can be a huge asset like I worked with great brands just on the recruiting side and, you know, medic conference and stuff like that, where they have highly attractive leadership members. And what I mean by attractive is people want to work with them. You feel confident in their ability. They bring on great people to the team. Like they're the attractor of it all in a sense. And then there's brands where leadership is leadership. They founded an idea. They grew the business. They invested their capital. They took the risk. They put in the hours, but they might not have the kind of attractive quality in a sense. And then in that case, you're recruiting team members that are attracted to each other. So, and then like people always say, it's hard to impact the leadership level in terms of what their mindset is and so forth. But I believe you can with the capacity of kind of that team that you build. So if I recruit somebody for K9 at the time, right? I'm bringing on someone that has a similar mindset, but thinks differently than me, right? So I brought on a, a team member, freaking phenomenal, had 25 years of experience. 
and really brought something to the team. But we had the same kind of understanding of where we wanted to go, how we wanted to treat people, what we thought of the franchise industry and so forth. And then the next person that we hired, once again, different than ourselves in a way and brought a unique quality, but still shared the commonalities of, hey, we want to be franchisee focused. We want to deliver a great experience for them. We realize that that's going to improve over time, but we could start taking steps together to do that. And eventually you have this ball of five, six, seven, eight, nine people that all have a similar mentality. And then that kind of rubs off on top end leadership. So like all that happens as well uh, within different franchise models. If you ask any company what their biggest challenge is, it's going to be, it's going to be people. Uh, and even if they don't say people, they're, they're most likely lying. Mm-hmm. No, knowing that and in franchising, what, what do you think the hardest position to recruit is or the one that takes you the longest to fill? And why is that? So I would say the more, and just to share some context, like I've really have been focusing on management, franchise business coaches, marketing managers, to director level, to VP level roles. I would say the higher you go up the chain, like C-suite, which I haven't done yet in full transparency, I know great people that have in the industry and it's certainly doable, but that's, as you go up the chain, the pool gets smaller of candidates that fit in that role and their expectations get higher, which is, should be the way it is. And that's when you find kind of, they're more particular about which companies they're going to join. They're more particular about the unit economics of the company, the growth potential of the company, equity opportunities within the company and so forth. So those will take longer. It's not harder, but it will traditionally take longer. And it's going to be a longer process naturally where you're not going to have interviews with our team and then two stages with the franchisor. You might have three, four stages of interviews with the franchisor to make sure it's the right fit. So I would say the level of the role increases the complexity of the search in a sense. In in my opinion, because I I always look at a website and a positioning and what's the story, I'm just going to highlight it. I think that's your why you, why now. And I think that's what you did at at K9 that gives purpose. What you do, and I'm going to take that director to executive vice president. I come here and the two messages I see is elevate your brand with your next hire and a new take on franchise executive search and recruiting. That's not the magic. What you're really good at is you find the manager or the director that someday will be vice president. And you've proven that out, that it's almost like you're 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 cultivating the future leaders of a franchise organization. You want to know a point of differentiation in the marketplace. And I can see it in your story. I can see what you did at K9. I and what you how you just even answered that question. You're like, I don't, I haven't even worked with the C-suite. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of your magic. I, I appreciate I think it's I think you're spot on, you know. Uh, and I think feedback and kind of continuing to, to mold and evolve is a part of the process, I, I think, of running a business. Well, and I'll, I'll throw this on here too, because I'm a marketer. I look at your logo and the reality is if you look at, look at just that line that that's in your logo, the orange line, it's exactly the pathway of how someone, they, they skyrocket up, they slip a little bit backwards to learn the next role and then they level up. Like your logo is actually set up for this too. I'm playing on my part, but very strategic in nature subconsciously, right? (laughs) I see it all coming together because I, you know. I think any anybody like ultimately you're you're the point of differentiation in, in the business. Like people are going to hire you, and then if they say, "Well, what's the difference between you and a traditional recruiter?" and I can see it. I mean, you have some of the stuff in there, and you say obtainable, but it's more so like if you find me someone who's a manager, director level, who someday will be a vice president. What you're doing is you're actually 
you're impacting my bottom line through recruitment. And I don't know that you take enough credit for that. And again, like when you're trying to determine the point of differentiation, and I bet you if you look through your Rolodex of other hires that you've placed, you're doing exactly the same thing. I think that helps determine your why you why now. And I think that's that's one of the hardest things for a business to articulate is what is the problem that they solve and wh- why should someone think about you now? And I, I think it's there. So if if I bought your if I bought your non-entrepreneur company tomorrow, uh, <laughs> I would start I would start with the positioning because I, I I think there's something magical about what you said. And that is that is the secret sauce. The secret sauce is and, and every company wants it. How do you find me someone that dreams of being at the top and is willing to put the work in to do it? Um, and in exchange for them doing that, that's loyalty, it's consistency, and that will also impact in franchise and that will impact franchise sales significantly because franchisees will see the team that's around that person that is building up and growing within an organization. That, that's ultimately what grows a brand. For sure. No, awesome. Any final things, Tim, that you want buyers that are out there or franchisors that are out there to know about you before we sign off? Uh, yeah. I mean, my, my position with, with starting Franchise High was to really tackle two pain points, you know, and that's why I say obtainable for all franchisors. You know, the pain points in the industry were, hey, the retainer is extremely high. I have to pay a third of the fee up front, then a third once you present candidates, then a third once they're placed, right? The rates are extremely high, 25, 30, 35%, depending on the type of search. Um, there's no flexibility in the payments and the guarantees are wonky where it's like, Hey, if the candidate stays for 60 days, then we'll replace them. If they stay for 90, then we're accredited a third back and we're earned that fee and so forth. So our goal was just to, we call it FH4. We want to keep it simple. So to start a search with us, it's 500 bucks. You're not taking a lot of risk up front. It pays for our initial discovery call together where we're taking notes for the position profile. That's it. And then we kick off and we start hitting the ground running. You know, our rates on average is about 20% of first year's total comp, which is reasonable for us. And I think reasonable for franchisors who maybe were hesitant to use a recruiter because of the fees. We have flexible payments. So what that means is the first payment to us is the start date of the team member. The second payment will be halfway through the guarantee period. And the last payment is at the end of the guarantee period. So you're holding all the money throughout that journey in a sense too. So once again, we want to be unique in that. And then the guarantee is simple. We'll have a guarantee period. If at any point something happens, someone has a family emergency, they have to leave the role, the candidate did not perform as anticipated, and we didn't really do our job that well, but we will replace the candidate free of cost. There's no additional fees. There's nothing of that nature throughout that journey. And then the last thing that we found was a, a pain point from the opposite side is the candidate experience. So we have our candidate promise. You know, So we are going to communicate openly and often with our candidates. We're going to paint a very transparent picture of the role itself. So the brand and the role, here's what day-to-day looks like. Here's what they want to achieve. Here's what I believe the culture is like based on my interactions with team members there. So that when they enter that role, it's it's what they expected as opposed to pitching something, they get something else and then they leave. And then we've invested time, they've invested money and it doesn't work out. We want to create long-term relationships with those candidates. And we speak to candidates, there are equals. We're having conversations. We're not talking from an ivory tower, looking down on them, making the ultimate decision, thumbs up, thumbs down. We're having conversations and if it's the right fit, it's the right fit. And I think that's the beauty of, you know, matching candidates to clients as opposed to just sending and shuffling resumes. I think everything you just said is, is we'll, we'll, we'll deeply connect with whoever the buying audience is. I mean, like we've, we've, uh, we've entertained a few recruiters uh, as of late. And I'll say that the hangup is not 
the commission paid, um, the hangup for us ends up being um, the guaranteed period um, because I, and you know, especially on an executive hire, I want six months. I don't want someone here for six months. I want them here for six years. And so most recruiters come out and they're like, we'll give you a 60 day guarantee. I'm like 60 days. I mean, they, they haven't even got through their first hundred day plan at that point. And so I think you're on the right path of speaking the right language that goes far beyond just franchise hiring. It's, it's, it's every organization that's trying to figure this out. And then they, they debate, do, do we invest in an internal recruiter, which is a hard position to fill because it's a one, it's a one person hire or do they look external and find a resource? So mm-hmm. I, I, I love that you're focused on what is what is the problem and how can we solve it? Um, and I'm looking forward to, to learning more about your story. So Tim, this has been awesome. Uh, look forward to seeing you at Fran Camp uh, for, well. for Thanks, Tim. Man. I'm Nick. This is another episode of Meet the Supplier. Go find Tim on LinkedIn or find him at franchisehire.com. Take care. Thanks.